Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, fresh off a trip from the Dominican Republic. I am tan, rested, and ready to discuss OSU sports with my man, Colby Powell. Colby, it's been a long time since we've chatted. Uh, we, I've missed a lot. Uh, you're going to have to help me out with some of these topics, but it's good to be back with you. It's been far too long. Yeah, Dominican looked awesome from your pictures and stuff. Looked like y'all were having fun and I'm sure it was hot down there, and then whenever you got back, it's now hot up here, so it's just hot everywhere. Yeah, I brought the heat back with me. I didn't mean to bring yeah. back the humidity. I mean, I would have been fine with a little heat. I guess it was cool while we were gone, but, uh, man, I, I stepped off the airplane and just felt that humidity, Oklahoma humidity, like it, like I never left, so that was uh, not ideal, but uh, before we get into everything, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris universityspirit.com they have all your cowboy shopping needs it is summertime so you're gonna want a new short sleeve shirt you're gonna be sweating through it with that humidity be sure to stop by chris's and get anything you need from them we appreciate them as always sponsoring the podcast i wanted to begin colby i missed almost the entire tournament of the women's college world series i got back just in time for the title decider between oklahoma and florida state OSU, though, Colby, again, great season. They were the number five seed. They finished fifth in the Women's College World Series. It was a great season. But I think discussing them losing in the tournament, you have to start with the fact that the NCAA and the Women's College World Series made them start their game after midnight, played well into the 2 a.m. hour. And I think thought they totally did a disservice to OSU because you just look at the very next night, they were looking at a similar situation. They didn't make Alabama and whoever else it was play at, you know, it's going to be virtually the same amount of time playing well into the past the midnight hour. And they're like, you know what, that was, that was pretty terrible. So let's not do that again. And OSU, I thought completely got the shaft. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a fan of it at all. I, I, we were at a friend's house that night, and, and once the other game started to go late and you had the delay and everything, I'm like, okay, surely they're not going to start the Oklahoma State softball game at what amounted to – I was probably close to midnight. It might have been just before midnight. I don't remember the exact time. And then they decided to go ahead with it, and I'm like, man, I just – I cannot get behind that at all. I uh, didn't stay up and watch it. It was just – it was so late. I had a long day. I was like, you know, I'll check the score in the morning. Uh, so I did saw that it didn't work out, but it's like, man, one, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. It's like, I, I don't know. It very much had uh, OSU Tulsa vibes from 2011. Now, obviously that one worked out a little bit better because Oklahoma state was a massive favorite uh, in that game against Tulsa, but it, it was just a shame the way it all came down. And it was really kind of a, a couple weeks of heartbreak, Carson. The last time we recorded, you were headed to the Dominican Republic. So we knew we weren't going to do a show for a couple of weeks. And I said, well, maybe by the time you get back, we'll have a couple national championships to talk about. Because that was the day that OSU was playing Ole Miss for the women's NCAA championship on the golf side. We had Oklahoma State men's golf get to the Final Four and lose to Pepperdine the next week. We had Oklahoma State women's uh, softball win their first game against Georgia at the Women's College World Series and then drop two straight after that. So it was really, uh, you know, it, it's life as an OSU fan. It's a lot of fun. Uh, until it's painful, and it, it became painful across a few sports uh, over the sp span of a couple of weeks. Baseball as well had their season ended, so pretty much in the time since we've talked, 
all of these sports that had such high hopes have all had their seasons come to an end. I blame myself. Me I blame too. myself. It's all my fault. Put put it on my shoulders. I shouldn't have left because everybody was on a roll when I was at stateside. And so I blame myself. But again, you're right. I mean, the, the OSU wins golf team, that's that's kind of match play. And they're super young, which we discussed. So they're definitely going to be back. I, again, I, I just could not be more impressed with Kenny Gajewski. You know, he made no excuses after the, the debacle of what was playing it after midnight. He, he kind of joked that his team doesn't even wake up. They don't. They wake up and go out at that time is what he was joking about, obviously exaggerating. But he, he handled it with class, and it's just – he was very emotional after they, they were eliminated from the Women's College World Series. And, again, I just can't say enough good things about him, what he's built so far at OSU and what he continues to build at OSU softball is, is simply remarkable. I mean – to, to go to the super regional as often as he has, and now the Women's College World Series and back-to-back -back tries, uh, they got themselves a big-time softball coach. And I, I loved everything he had to say afterwards about his team. And you can see why his players love him so much. He just seems like a really genuine dude. He's obviously recruiting really well. He really – I mean, those – Colby, those super regional games and regional games in Stillwater were electric. I mean, it was packed – they were throwing water and beer all over each other in the outfield. It, it was just kind of a, an organic – none of it was contrived. It was an organic movement for the softball program in Stillwater, which, frankly, when I was in school there, I'm sure when you were there too, Colby, like they had a great year in 2011, made it to the, the College World Series. But before that, I mean, no one hardly went to the softball games, and they, they just, frankly, weren't at, at this level that they are now. So, I'd, again, I, I just wanted to heap more praise upon – Kenny Gajewski. Yeah, I, I really uh, – I made a comparison last week, and I still think it's right on point. Kenny Gajewski is to Oklahoma State softball, kind of like what Ryan Hibble is to OU golf. I mean, it's, it's programs that were complete afterthoughts, complete afterthoughts for basically the majority of their existence. And then all of a sudden they get these coaches who come in, they change the culture. It's, it's a culture of winning. It's coaches that care phenomenally for their players getting choked up, uh, you, you know, after the seasons come to an end and stuff like that. And to me, that is so much more impressive. You, you know, there's a lot of coaches that could be handed the keys to a Ferrari, uh, you know, and I don't want to downplay what Lincoln Riley's done. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country, but it's not like he took a, a program that was struggling, a program with no history, a program with absolutely nothing and built it from nothing into a national power. And while Oklahoma State softball probably can't be regarded as a national power yet, they are certainly on the scene as one of the best teams year in, year out in, uh, in softball. And they beat OU once this year. Uh, that's as many times as any team beat OU. Nobody could beat them twice. That's why they ended up winning the title. And it's just really impressive what he's done and the relationships that he's built. It's so cool seeing Boynton out at all those games. Uh, you know, I know you're in the Dominican Republic, but Boynton was there in Oklahoma City. Boynton was on the front row. He was leading the OSU chant in that first game against Georgia to the crowd. It's, uh, you know, he's down there. Him and Guy Eske clearly have a good friendship. So it's just really cool to see all that stuff uh, that has happened for softball. So much love for Kenny Guy Eske and hope he's around a long time. Yeah, I, I did see the Boynton clip, which again, he just continues to be the the mayor of Stillwater. I mean, it just this guy just hits all the right notes. I thought that was an awesome video that that leaked on on social media and says a lot about Mike Boynton. I mean, this is a this is a busy time of year for him. You know, once June starts is when they really start ramping up recruiting. They've all they've had some visitors recently, so he 
he's obviously busy and made the time to go down to Oklahoma City and cheer on the softball team, much like he did when he was in Stillwater when they were at home. So that that was awesome. And to reiterate just the job that Kenny Gajewski's doing, his first year in 2016, they went 6-11 and 11 in conference, 32-26 and 26 overall. But since then, in conference, they've gone 12-6, and 12-6, 13-5, and 15 and three this year. So double digit wins every year since his first season. Uh, they went to the College World Series uh, in 2019. Obviously, COVID crashed the 2020 season. So basically, back to back College World Series. He's been to a regional every single year he's been there. But I think this season, he lift, he raised the bar. He raised the ceiling for what, what OSU softball can be by, you know, taking OU to the limit. For a Big 12 championship. I mean, they, they won one game in the three-game series. Hardly any teams in the conference did. Uh, did they were the only team in the conference to, to beat Oklahoma. So there is, a, there is a juggernaut down the road in Norman, but there's plenty of room for both to, to make it to Oklahoma City and just the, the proof's in the pudding with his results. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's really turned into one of the more exciting spring sports. People have really taken a liking to softball. It, it's quicker than baseball. It's more fast paced. You, you feel like you're more on top of the action with the smaller field. Uh, so it definitely has some built in advantages there as far as a, a spectating sport goes. And softball's really started to capitalize on those over the last few years. And I don't know what you think, Carson, but I think that they would be crazy to move it out of Oklahoma City because the fact that Oklahoma particularly, as well as Oklahoma State now in recent years, are there in Oklahoma City and you have the rabid fan bases there cheering on their teams, you know what? Honestly, it might not be great for Florida State. It might not be great for UCLA. But I do think that it is good for softball. Because if softball were to decide, decide, well, we're going to go to Boise and we're going to play in Boise every year because that's neutral and nobody will get their feelings hurt if the opposing fans are in the stadium chanting. You know what that's going to create? It's going to create a dull atmosphere. It's not going to be as fun to watch. Part of the fun of the Women's College World Series is the atmosphere. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the local teams have been there more times than not. So I hope it stays where it is. Uh, because we have seen it, and I think we will continue to see the growth of softball. Yeah, and I think that's so short-sighted from people that criticize this year with OU being there and the advantage. I've covered the Women's College World Series since I was an intern, all the way back in 06, 07. And they've been sellouts with without Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. Like the like Oklahoma City has been the mecca of softball for a very long time. There's a reason ASA Hall of Fame stadiums there in Oklahoma City. I mean, there's a reason for that. And even in years when OU's not there, there's sellouts. It's a rabid atmosphere. All the fans from all the schools come there and pack the house. Now, game one of the tournament at 11 a.m. like OU played, would that be as full? Of course not. But the idea that the only reason there were big crowds and setting attendance records this year was just because of Oklahoma – in Oklahoma State, simply not true. They, they emailed us the, the attendance, uh, did Women's College World Series. It's gone up every single year, and the ratings continue to climb every single year. There's obviously a taste and a thirst for softball. It's fun to watch, like you said. It's fast-paced. Uh, the, the girls are incredible athletes. Some of those plays they made were just amazing. And so, the old, Colby, they're, they're not moving it out, out of Oklahoma City because the contracts are tied up for a very long time. But the only concern for me, and we don't have to get too deep in the weeds on this, but it is a concern, is the transgender bill thing where the NCAA says, if you pass this bill, we're not going to compete in your state. 
know, Oklahoma, that's, that's not a done deal, but there are other states like Florida, Pennsylvania that have the same deal. So that will limit where they can put it. That's the only, that's, to me, that's the only scenario at all in which they would move it. They're not going to move it because Oklahoma has a home field advantage. That's simply not happening. But that, that bill does cause a little bit of pause for concern for me. Yeah, it definitely does. And it's, it's hard, you know, I'm of the belief that when we're not experts on a subject, we should defer to the experts instead of yes. trying to pretend like we know everything. I, I don't pretend to know everything that's in that bill, how it impacts the athletes. Uh, I'm, I'm pro LGBTQ rights. I uh, don't want those trampled on in any way. I just literally, I, I don't know enough about it. So I hope that that's not a hindrance toward the Women's College World Series staying in Oklahoma City because it really has become a great event that people look forward to, you know? Uh, I mean, we were going to record yesterday, or well, I can't remember when we were going to record, but uh, my physical therapist had to bump me off the schedule. He's going to the national championship game at two o'clock <laughs> on a Thursday. I get it, man. Go to the national championship game. Enjoy. That's fun. Um, so I, I hope that that does not become a hindrance. Uh, but like you said, hard for me to get too far into the weeds on it because I, I don't fully understand and grasp all the details. So uh, hopefully that all works itself out uh, without anything going wrong. Yeah, the, the interest is at an all-time high. Patty Gasso said after the championship game last night that she, she even acknowledged, like, while there's been a big interest in softball recently in, in the past five, ten years, she was like, this one was especially big. And the ratings back it up. The game two between OU and FSU averaged 2 million viewers, up 14% over 2019's game two. I mean, 2.6 million people viewed the game too. I mean, the, the ratings were just off the charts for ESPN. And Gasso also spoke, I think this is where it'll help Oklahoma State with the scenario they were put in playing at midnight. She said that it's gotten so big that they need to, it, it really shined a light and exposed a lot of the flaws with the format, which is the format they've had for a long time. They're, I think they're going to start building in more days in between to string this out too for ESPN. I think that would be smart on their part, string it out more like the, the men's baseball tournament. That, that College World Series is dang near two weeks. I'm not saying you got to make it two weeks because softball is a lot quicker, but I do think with how big this tournament was, with how big the viewership was, I don't think Oklahoma State's going to get put in a situation like that. They're going to build in more days off between the championship series to account for weather. So I, I think – as much as of a headache it was, it was for OSU, I do think that the situation they were put in is going to bring about change. Yeah, I think so too. It's uh, why wouldn't you have buffer days? I mean, it just allows for rain out stuff like that. It makes sure that you don't have teams, you know, going first pitch at midnight. It makes sure that you don't have to play your national championship game at two o'clock on a Thursday when the heat index is like 107 degrees or whatever it was. There's just there's no real downside to it. You get more TV uh, for a sport that people clearly care about. Uh, I would like to see ESPN do a better job of, you know, and this really is women's sports across the board, uh, of making it more available. You know, I, I get on my ESPN app. If I wasn't home or something, I wanted to check the scores. I get on my ESPN app, and I have to go on a scavenger hunt to find the score of the softball game. It's not, it's not readily available. I can't even just go to scores and just click softball. It, it's not readily available. It literally is like going down, uh, you know, national treasure kind of hunt to find the softball score on the app. Make it accessible for people. People like it. I mean, they tweet out the ratings about how high the ratings are for softball, and then they don't make it more accessible for people. So I hope that's something the ESPN takes a look at in the near future as well. Yeah, I mean, putting them putting... – Putting the championship game at two o'clock on a Thursday, which 
from my understanding, that was the NCAA's call since they had the, I think it was the track and field was in prime time on ESPN. It wasn't, it wasn't just because of the NBA games. That's what the, they ran up against and they weren't going to move the track and field event. But I mean, you got to be a little bit more flexible than that. I mean, this, this, that, that game was such a big game. It would have done such a big number. And that's another reason I think they need to start looking at what, how they do the television as well. So it was a successful week for OSU. They, they appeared in the College World Series. They were the fifth-ranked team. They finished fifth. I know that was disappointing for them, the way they, you know, they won their first game. And the James Madison Oklahoma killers got to them. That Odyssey girl was incredible. They ran in, into a hot pitcher, but nothing to hang their heads about. They really have revitalized that sport in Stillwater. I remember Colby when I was in school. The only real claim to fame was they had Michelle Smith's name on the wall. Like, oh, yeah, Michelle Smith, who, who calls the games and is one of the best pitchers <laughs> of all time, went to OSU. That's cool. Yeah. That was basically all I knew about OSU softball back when I was in school. So that they really have come a long way. Most definitely. Love the way the program's headed. Yep. So uh, I also returned home to this, you know, college football, the playoff has been talked about so much, you know, the four team, the eight team, and then boom, all of a sudden we get this report that they're considering a 12 team. We're, we're bypassing the eight and going straight to 12. And I, I've read as much as I can about this Colby and there's a lot to it and it's not obviously finalized yet. But in my opinion, the, with the way the bowls have been rendered basically useless besides the four, I think this is another way to make some of the more prominent bowls more meaningful to where guys don't sit out. I think it includes more teams like in Oklahoma State if they take care of business to get into the playoff scenario. I, I think I would prefer eight as opposed to 12, but for me, 12 is better than four. What, how do you stand on it? Oh, 12 is definitely better than four. I, uh, I would have been fine with eight. I'll say this. Uh, the, the number one thing that I see people saying who are against it, well, it, it makes the regular season mean, meaningless. It'll make the regular season meaningless. That's what college football is all about. The regular season means something every Saturday, and that is the biggest load of garbage on the planet. The regular season means something every Saturday to about six teams a year. About six teams a year have something to play for 12 Saturdays. Guess what? Everybody else thinks that they have something to play for for about three weeks. And then it goes out the window and they realize, you know what? We're just one of the pack. Expanding this to 12, it's going to make the regular season so much more meaningful to every team that's not already in the club. And I talk a lot about the club because if you're not in the club in college football, you can't get in. That's how it's designed now. They don't want parity. If they did, they would change the rules. The teams in the club, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, maybe LSU pops whenever, you know, they're cheating and doing some stuff. Uh, maybe some other teams get up there whenever they're cheating and doing some stuff. But those are pretty much the teams at the top. Everybody else, what do you have to play for all year? I mean, seriously, if you're Oklahoma State, once you've lost a game, you don't have anything to play for. What about Iowa State? Same thing. You lose a game, you don't have anything to play for because you're not getting in a four-team playoff with a loss. doesn't matter your strength of schedule. doesn't matter anything else. What matters is that the logo on the side of your helmet says you have to go undefeated to have a chance to be in the playoff. And now, yeah, the regular season, it might mean less to Alabama and OU and Clemson. But guess what? Those are the teams that have been enjoying college football forever. If a game in middle October on a Saturday isn't as fun for that fan base because win or lose, they're still in the playoff, 
guess what? I don't care because there are now another 20 teams that have been brought into the equation that actually have something to play for in October and November. The expansion of the playoff has been long overdue. Every other sport at every other level has playoffs. High school football has playoffs. Uh, Division two SCS football has playoffs all the way through. That's how you determine who the champion is. And I hate the idea. I saw a lot of this on Twitter yesterday. People posted out what the 12 team would have been from last year. And they're like, who do you think wins it all in this scenario? I think Bama wins it all in that scenario, but that's not the point. The point is that all these other teams, Cincinnati and Iowa State and all these other teams had something to compete for, and they were able to get on the field and line up across from those big boys. And and it's a measuring stick. It's a test. And it gives the hope of an upset. And when that huge upset happens and one of those top four teams fall in their first game or the 12 seed beats the five seed in that first round, it will be so, so incredible for college football. The football world will lose its mind. So I think this makes the regular season much more uh, fun for 95, maybe 98% of fan bases. Um, and, and the teams at the top, they're going to get in. Sure, they're going to get in. Guess what? They were already getting in. So I, I love the idea of expanding it. Well, one thing I would caution, because in this 12-team format, uh, there would be five conference champions, uh, I guess, and, uh, and one of the highest ranked, and, and one for the highest ranked group of five champion. The other six spots would be at-large bids. I would caution people who think that this is going to give some of the have-nots a chance. I think this all that does with these six at-larges, you're going to have Herb Street and Desmond Howard up there telling you how great the fourth best team from the Big Ten is, and look who they look who they lost to. They're going to have you know four SEC teams high on their list. I I think this is also a scam to get more SEC and Big Ten teams in there that feel like they should be in, or maybe even Pac-12, since they get left out just about everything. I think Pac-12 is probably the biggest proponent for this format. Uh, I would I would caution you, and that's my big concern, Colby, that just doesn't this just open the door for, you know, A&M and, and LSU who didn't even win their division to get in situations like that? Oh, I think it definitely could. I mean, let's just assume that Clemson wins the ACC, Ohio State wins the Big Ten, Bama wins the SEC, and OU wins – the Big 12. Um, so now you've still got six at-large bids. Maybe one goes to Georgia, one goes to LSU, one goes to Michigan if they have a year where they have two losses. Um, one goes to Texas if they have a year with two losses. But it still just leaves that window open for other teams to sneak in. And I, I just think it's going to make it so much more interesting for every fan base because, I mean, you know, as Oklahoma State fans, let's let's rewind the clock back to the 2017 season. Mason Rudolph, James Washington, senior year, uh, all these big high expectations. You dominate Pittsburgh, come out the next weekend without your right side of your offensive line, you lose to TCU. Okay, let's try to build it back. Well, then you lose to OU. At this point, Oklahoma State now has nothing to play for, dead men walking, nothing going on. But with where that team was early in the season, under a 12-team format, I legitimately think that had they beaten Kansas State and still had something to play for, and they played against Kansas State like they had nothing to play for, I think that team could have gotten in with two losses, depending on what the the atmosphere was elsewhere in college football. So while I do think that of those six at-large bids, maybe three or four every year uh, might go to teams that make us roll our eyes, 
then past those three or four, I think that there will be another eight teams that all think they deserve the 11th and 12th spots. And how much fun will that be whenever we get to sit here and break down, okay, the, all these teams fighting for so few spots and the, the differences between all these teams are going to be so subjective. I just, I think it makes the conversation more fun in college football. And I think that it gives more fan bases and more programs hope and hope is kind of what college football is built on. I mean, everyone kind of hopes that, oh, this is the year. We got a bunch of seniors on this team and, and you get that hope deep down inside that maybe you can just put it all together and go on this magical run. And right now, I don't think that hope exists. So I think a lot of fans, uh, myself included, usually check out once their team loses a couple of games because you're, you're just kind of out of things to play for at that point. I think that this gives a lot more people hope uh, and will be a lot more fun. But I do think that your criticism is valid. If in year one, uh, Georgia, Florida, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, and Tennessee are the six at-large bids, yeah, we're going to have problems. <laughs> no, you're right. And I, I'm totally with you. Right now, there's no hope. Because essentially, a school like Oklahoma State has to go undefeated. And doing that is almost impossible. Alabama doesn't go undefeated every year. Like, it's so hard to go through a 12-game schedule, let alone the Big 12 round-robin schedule, and go undefeated. It's just nobody does it. No school's done it in the Big 12 since 2009 Texas. That's how hard. it's been over a decade. And even teams like Alabama, who I mentioned, and even Clemson loses some games in a regular season. It's just it's hard to do. So if that's your hope, you have no hope. And, and even if you do go undefeated now in the Big 12 – you still got to play Oklahoma again in the Big 12 championship game. So right now, I'm totally with you. There is no hope. And I do think the 12 team is, is definitely – it definitely opens up more hope. And I think it makes the regular season more fun because you're, you're trying to improve your playoff standing too. Uh, so, but there is a caveat here too, Colby, with this format. Like Oklahoma State, let's say they get in one of the at-large spots. They're going to have to play what? 17 games to win a national championship? I think that's yep. another – discussion and this is really my number one goal in all of this regardless of the, whether they do eight or 12 whatever I want to get rid of the rum dum non-conference games just play your big 12 schedule play your conference schedule and if you get to the championship game great if you get to the playoff even better there's nothing there's no bigger waste of time that I've spent in my life than covering Oklahoma playing Idaho State or Oklahoma State playing Missouri Savannah State. State. Savannah, Savannah State was a one-off because they lost an opponent. I'll, I'll give them a pass on that one. But Central Arkansas is on the future schedule. Missouri State, that is a waste of time. That's a waste of energy for OSU. Guys could get hurt playing those rum-dum games. There's no reason to play those games. Half of them aren't even on, like, we have to download an app to watch because it's not on TV. So my biggest hope with the playoff, get rid of these waste of time, just filling the calendar non-conference games. Let's play your schedule and get after it. That's what I want to see. That, that way you're not playing 17 if you make it in the playoff. Uh, but they might not do that in case, you know, less games means less money. They probably won't, but that's my hope anyway. Yeah, I'll say this, and that kind of ties into one concern 
that I had because yes, the non-conference games against the rum dumps, they're unwatchable. They're brutal. I've been trying to talk my wife out of us attending those games for years. It still doesn't work. She still wants to go sit out there when it's 98 degrees and watch Oklahoma state <laughs> win by 60. I, I personally, I don't get anything out of that. If you like that you as know. a fan, it's totally fine. I get it. Your team wins by a bunch. It's fun. It's more fun than losing. I get that. Um, but now like you bring up, we're going to play so, so, so many games these teams that make it into the playoff, there's going to be huge, huge financial implications that are happening here. And I'm just curious, we are moving. I mean, we're already in this movement of player empowerment and of these players starting to more and more understand their worth to these universities and to the NCAA and to these networks. We're already getting the name, image, and likeness stuff going on. I'm just curious at what point, uh, you, you know, these athletes come together, realize the power that they have, and all of a sudden now some of this cut has to go to the players, which I, I'm not, not by any means against that. I don't know how it all breaks down, but that is one thing that I think that everyone who's expanding this playoff and the higher-ups, the executives that are making these decisions, they're going to have to remember that this is now more money that is being paid on – the backs of these amateur and I put amateur in air quotes because college football is it's a very professional amateur sport and I'm just curious how that gets handled down the line because uh, player empowerment is very real uh, these players are, are seriously understanding their worth and that's going to be a huge part of the conversation moving forward as these schedules continue to get longer so uh, it'd be really interesting to see how the people who get paid a lot of money to figure these things out. It'll be really interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah, I'm with you. And and I'm not saying cancel all the non-conference games. I think a solution also would be schedule one, power five, non-conference opponent. That way you can have a one-up on a team since you played a better non-conference. That still includes the non-conference element. And I certainly don't want OSU to cancel this home-and-home home they just scheduled, Colby. Uh, or maybe I do. I'm not sure. But Oklahoma <laughs> State schedules a home-and-home home with Ala freaking Bama. In 2028, and was it 2029? I forget the dates. Uh, let's see here. It was 28 and 29. Yeah, I believe 28 okay. Stillwater and 29 is Tuscaloosa. Yeah, they, they, and they come to Stillwater first. How great is that? that what a oh, spectacle man. that will be having Alabama and those just traditional uniforms marching onto the field at Boone Pickens Stadium. That that's that caught me completely off guard, Colby. I, I know they've been scheduling well. You know, the Arizona States of the world, they tried to schedule Clemson uh, back in the day. That's why they ended up playing uh, Savannah State. And who else do they have on the schedule? Arizona State. They're playing Boise State again. Let's see here. Arizona I, I got State, it for you right Ar here. Arkansas. So starting at 2022, 22 is Arizona State, so is 23. Uh, in 24, they've got Arkansas. 25 and 26 are Oregon. Uh, 27 is Arkansas once Ooh. again. Alabama's 28 and 29. Ooh. 32 is Arkansas. 33 is Arkansas. And then 34 and 35 are Nebraska. So the non-conference schedule over the next, what is that, 14 years? Pretty impressive for Oklahoma State. Also pretty insane that we're scheduling non-conference games 15 <laughs> years ago. That's pretty crazy. And how bad does Nebraska miss the Big 12? They've scheduled games with Oklahoma now Oklahoma State, they obviously regret their decision. They're trying to generate any interest they can in their their football team. But so that that that's a big deal, Colby. I mean, OSU's only played Alabama once. I was in the stadium for that in the Independence Bowl. Uh, quite a different scenario. I assume Nick Saban will be the coach. I want to get to your tweet in just a second. But really, really awesome scheduling. 
from OSU and, and Mike Holder. I know him and uh, Mike Gundy had battled on this in the years past. This generates money, which Oklahoma State needs more than other schools. And I, I'm frankly kind of surprised Bama agreed to this. I mean, going to Stillwater is not some place they're familiar with. Most of their non big marquee non-conference games, they play at Jerry World. So I, I, I was a little shocked by this, Colby, that Alabama agreed to play OSU and, and maybe even vice versa. Oh, I was majorly shocked by this when it came out. Because my whole thing is like, I want to know who picked up the phone. I want to know who picked up the phone and called who. Like, was, was were Holder and Weiberg sitting around and the phone rang and it was Alabama? Because I, I can't imagine Alabama reaching out to Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State, if I – pure speculation, probably the ones that picked up the phone and made it happen. I, I love it. Whoever picked up the phone, I thank you because I think these games will be a ton of fun, even though, again, it, it's seven and eight years down the road. We don't know what these teams are going to look like. We don't know who the coach is going to be, who the quarterback's going to be. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm glad that they – have taken this leap toward better non-conference scheduling because it's kind of like we just talked about. I, I just get so, so tired of watching the boring 55 to 10 non-conference games. It just doesn't do anything for me. Um, so I'll, I'll be very much looking forward to Alabama. It's like the year uh, Jameis won the, the national title at Florida State, and then they come back and they have to start with OSU next year. And OSU had every chance to win that game in the fourth quarter. It was awesome. I would much rather watch a close game like that against a national power that you fall at the end after a great game than watch them beat up Louisiana Tech 55 to 10. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's just, again, I just, it's a waste of everyone's time. OSU team, OSU the fans, everybody. And I am thrilled that it's it's on campus, Colby. I mean, again, Alabama played at Jerry World. OSU played Florida State, the defending national champions at Jerry World. That was a lot of fun. But I think it's way more fun doing it on campus in Stillwater. It brings back memories of Georgia coming to the grand opening of the new Boone Pickens Stadium. Just that that's such a better deal for everybody and the fans and even the players. So I, I'm fired up. And I think it'll be a cool experience for OSU fans to go down to Tuscaloosa, a place I've never been. Uh, I've been to several places down south, but not not Tuscaloosa. So bravo to Mike Holder, Chad Weiberg for getting this, this scheduled. But you raised an important question on Twitter, Colby. You put out a poll. Who is more likely to be the head coach in 2028, Nick Saban or Mike Gundy? What were your poll results? Yeah, it was uh, it was Nick Saban. Nick Saban was the winner of the poll. Everybody thinks that he's more likely to be in at Bama in 28 than Mike Gundy is uh, to be in Stillwater in 28. 55% to 45%, basically. Look, I, I don't know, man. It's seven years away. Nick Saban just signed the big extension earlier this week. His contract runs him through that 29 season. Mike Gundy, obviously, uh, he's got his contract that's now three or four years. I can't remember everything that happened last summer with it. Um, I, I don't know. Is it crazy to think that maybe neither one of them will be, will be there in 2028? I mean, what, what are the chances that we get both of them coaching in 28 and then maybe they're not both there in 29? I just I think that there's a ton of different things that can happen on that front. And if Nick Saban's not there, if Nick Saban retires, like, let's say after the 26th season or something like that, does Alabama continue to just operate as this well-oiled machine that is this mega dynasty? I don't know. Maybe Saban leaves and then Oklahoma State has a part in dismantling that uh, if the time comes. So who, who knows what it's going to look like in 28. Um, but it's it's an interesting thought experiment to try to guess which coach might still be there. And if you don't think they'll be there, the reasons why you think they might not be. I think I would have voted Saban. Um, again, I, 
it's fresh off the heels of him signing a contract extension. And, and a lot of times that's to stave off negative recruiting. Like, Hey, Saban's this, this old, he'll be this old when you're a senior, he ain't going to stay. A lot of that's recruiting based, but you know, Bill Haston took a shot at answering your question. Uh, he said during a 2019 interview, Mike Gundy indicated he probably would not coach beyond the age of 60. If Gundy retires at 60, the 2026 season would be his 22nd and final season as OSU coach. No other Cowboy coach had a run of more than 11 seasons. Uh, as of September 2028, Gundy will be 61. Um, I don't think he's going to be there. I, I kind of think he'll be there another four or five years. Uh, until Once Gunner Gundy graduates in four, maybe five years, I think Mike's going to hang it up. That, that obviously would not take him to, to 2028, 20, 2029. 20, we've gone down all the rabbit holes with him and, you know, this day and age of recruiting, dealing with kids that age. I think he's pretty set on once. This is just, this is just no inside information. This is kind of just my opinion that I think once Gunner graduates, he can ride his tractor off into the sunset back to Gundy Ranch and just count all the money he's made and, and look back on all the fond memories he's, he's provided to OSU. It's kind of the way I view it. Yeah, and, and that would be great. I really, I do hope, uh, you know, I've been very critical of Mike Gundy for some things in the past, but he is the most successful coach ever at Oklahoma State. And he's done a lot of good things at Oklahoma State. And I hope that when he leaves, he leaves on good terms. He leaves with the fan base loving him. He leaves kind of in the way that Bob Stoops left um, Oklahoma. You know, it was really unexpected, but he is beloved down there. And, and it was getting to a point in his tenure where if they continued to have some down years and some other things were happening, then maybe some difficult conversations were going to have to be had. And maybe Bob wouldn't have been able to leave on his own accord. And maybe the relationship wouldn't still be so good with the fan base and with the, the current administration there. I really hope that Mike Gundy is able to go out on his terms when he wants to as a winner. Uh, I hope it's not one of these things where, uh, you know, an all-time great at a school sticks around past when they're really welcome there and then all of a sudden the, the ending gets a little messy because at some point you have to move on and all this stuff so I really hope that he goes out on his own terms uh and that he is celebrated for what he's done at Oklahoma State uh and just for the record it would be nice to beat OU once or twice between now and now well Mike deserves a statue I don't know if you want to put him playing along with it maybe it's two statues he did leave the school as the all-time leading passer but uh he definitely deserves one as a coach out, out front Boone Pickens State and they got one for Barry they got one for Boone and uh very shortly there's going to be one for Mike after what he did and what he built at OSU because I'm not of the opinion that just because you build facilities you're going to win I think he did a great job enhancing those and, and building upon them and he deserves all the credit he's, he's rightfully uh, received. And, and yeah, we, we yell and scream about play calls every now and then, but that doesn't change the fact he is the most successful coach in school history. And he'll get to, call, he'll get to go out on his own terms, essentially. So I thought that was an interesting question by you, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. I, I wonder if this podcast will be still going in 2028. I, who knows? <laughs> Maybe Gundy will outlast, outlast you and me doing the podcast. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, one more thing before we get out of here, Colby. I, this tweet caught my attention when I just got back from vacation and I, I was watching the, the OU softball game and didn't do my research. So I, I, I kind of got a few facts wrong in my response. That's what I get for half-assing it. But uh, Marshall Scott, who runs PFB, owner, proprietor, uh, there's a famous meme going around. I think it's SpongeBob. Uh, what's, a, what's a sports opinion 
that will have you like this with, and with everyone kind of staring at you in a, in a, in a gasp. His was Mason Rudolph was a better college quarterback than Brandon Whedon, who was also quite good. And he has an article that he, he details it with for uh, his hot take. And my only response was originally going to be that Mason lost at home to Central Michigan, Kansas State, and Kenny Hill at home. End of argument. But then I was like, ah, and he lost to Tech. And I can, that was Cornelius, not Rudolph. Rudolph never lost to Tech. And he never beat OU in some evenly, uh, evenly matched Bedlam games. They were, OSU was even favored in one of those. And I kind of forget all about the fact they beat OU with the Tyree Kill game and that Mason started that. So shame on me. Get your facts straight, as Mike Gundy would say. But I think I would start and end my argument with he, he, Mason lost to Central Michigan, Kansas State. They were getting their doors blown off against Kansas State. I know he threw for four or 500 yards. I was all in, I was all in garbage prevent defense mode and then they lost to Kenny Hill at home and as a top five team so that's really you can go way down the rabbit hole and I'll probably have Marshall on the pod whenever you're off and we can just kind of open the floor together and, and go back and forth and that and that's no this is no slight to Mason I mean Mason was probably better than he's given credit for given the offensive line issues and, and lack of running game when he was there his ability to throw the deep ball but I'm sorry I, I'm taking Brandon Wheaton yeah, I mean, look, Mason Rudolph, I don't want to disparage Mason Rudolph. And I feel like that's what happens when we start comparing greats mm -hmm. from different eras. It's like if you think one is better, then naturally you disparage the other one to prop the other guy up, make him seem better. I mean, we've seen it for years, as, as, you know, as LeBron gets later on in his career, people fight about LeBron and MJ and they talk down one guy in order to prop the other guy up. And that's it's just my least favorite part about these greatest ever conversations I mean, look, I would take Whedon. That's not a disparagement to Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph was great at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, he threw a great deep ball. He played behind horrible offensive lines. And, you know, he was winning 10 games regularly at Oklahoma State, which is not something that everyone has been able to do over the years. But Brandon Whedon, man, the, the 2011 season was just so, so special. And, you know, we have to also admit to ourselves, it's hard to get our personal biases out of it. 2011 was my freshman year at Oklahoma State. I got there in August of 2011, before they put the football on the tee and started <laughs> that season. I was in the student section for every game that year. It was unbelievable. Just campus that year. It was unbelievable everything that was happening with the football program and this. We talked about hope earlier, this hope that this was the dream season that Oklahoma State could win a national championship in a sport that I didn't think and still don't think we will ever see them win a national title in my lifetime. It's just that season was so special. What Whedon had with Blackman was so special. The way Whedon came in, you know, losing that game to Colorado and then being the savior, he had the rocket for an arm. It just, it felt like that team was going to go out and just throttle people. Now, I understand that it's more than just quarterback. Brandon Whedon played behind a much better offensive line. He had Joseph Randall. He had Justin Blackman. James Washington was good, but Justin Blackman's maybe the best receiver in the history of college football. Uh, all that being said, it, it's Brandon Whedon for me. The dude was just so, so elite at Oklahoma State. I think the fact that he went to the Browns when the Browns were still a joke of an organization uh, really hurt him. I mean, you heard stories about when Brandon Whedon was there and the, the headsets, the microphones in the helmets cut off with 15 seconds left on the play clock. So you got to have the play in by then and get everybody out to where they need to be. And just all the time, they couldn't get the plays in. 
And Brandon Whedon would just have no play with 15 seconds on the play clock and had to go get it. And I think that his NFL career going the way it did has kind of jilted people's opinions about what he was at Oklahoma State. And that is remarkably unfair because he was so, so good at Oklahoma State. Uh, and if not for the plane crash that led to the somber uh, day on that Friday, and then they go up to Ames and, and lose to Iowa State, if not for that game, Brandon Whedon might be a Heisman winning national championship quarterback. So uh, it, it's Whedon for me. Yep, I'm with you for all the reasons you laid out. And again, both both great quarterbacks easily. I think they're one and two in school history. So, and that's pretty, I think that's pretty clear too. So Colby, anything tripping your trigger this week? Oh, not much tripping my trigger this week. Um, I, I will say some of the some of the college football playoff takes yesterday got me a little bit because some of them I just <laughs> I just don't follow the logic. And it's the whole thing of uh and and you know, it's the whole thing of, well, this is just going to make everything less important. We're just letting everybody in. This That's is been the argument for 35 years against the playoff, and it's it hasn't done any of that. Nonsense. I know. It's just but like we don't have that in any other sports. I mean, in no other sport are people sitting around, you know, we're not sitting <laughs> around in the NFL going, well, you know, we don't care on normal Sundays because a bunch of teams are going to get in the playoffs. No, of course we care because the product <laughs> is still good. And the product of college football is good right now. It could be great if they would let it be great. If they would schedule real games against real teams, stop all the rum dums, let more teams in the playoff, create more parity. It could go from being a really good sport. And college football is a really good sport. It's a lot of fun. It could be one of the best sports in the entire world if they would let it. But they just seem to not want to let it through some like old school version of amateurism or some old way of thinking of, well, we should all go out and play 12 games. And if you lose even one of them, then you're out. And that's just how it is. That's college football. You go win them all. If you want to prove you're the best, it's just that that's so unrealistic for 99.9% .9 of teams. So I just don't like the idea of keeping it small and keeping everyone else out just because this idea, well, Bama's going to win anyway. Do you really think a 12 seed's going to come in and beat Bama? You know what? 99 out of 100 times, probably not. But there will be one year that it happens, and we will all lose our damn minds, and the whole thing will be <laughs> worth it. And when that day comes, I can't wait to say that I was right. Well, Bama will probably get a bye. They won't be playing the 12 seed. But yeah, they I'm could lose to the – first game is what I meant. Not necessarily the first round, their first game. Gotcha, gotcha. That would be sweet. Uh, what's tripping my – I'm with you on all your playoff takes. It's it, we got a long way to go, but I do think it's heading in a, in a better direction for the, the – the non Ohio state, Alabama, Oklahoma, you know, names in the, in the world. So that'll be fun. What's tripping my trigger is I wanted to share a story from the first time Oklahoma state and Alabama met in the independence bowl. I was there as a college student. I'll never forget it. Colby, you know, there's Alabama fans there. There's OSU fans there, obviously, but a third of the stadium, a legit third was purple. LSU fans showed up to get drunk and harassed the Alabama fans and Alabama team. And Les Miles had just come over to be their head coach. So they felt some kinship with us OSU fans. So we joined forces with those rabid Bayou Bengals, and we witnessed OSU beat Alabama. And I'll never forget all those Bama fans telling us how bad they wanted us, or all those LSU fans telling us how bad they wanted OSU to beat Bama. And I was like, man, these people are a different breed. They got nothing better to do than get hammered and 
jeer Alabama. That's how much they can't stand Bama. So it'll be a much different, I think, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Alabama team the next time OSU plays them. But I do have some fond memories from the one and only time that, that OSU beat Alabama. College buddy of mine, Jason Ricks, kicked the game-winning field goal. I think that was his last duty as kicker. And uh, Bobby Reed, winning quarterback. So some, some fond memories from me when I was in college. Yeah, absolutely. That game was a ton of fun. I still remember watching that game. I was a little bit younger at the time, but it was just so much fun. And even at that time, it felt like, you know, Alabama wasn't Alabama at that time. But man, it just it still felt like so much fun uh, to be able to play that caliber of a program and to be able to knock them off whenever they were a little bit down. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that team was a lot of fun. So uh, that was good stuff. By the way, before we get out of here, we got to throw a quick shout out to our man, Austin Ekro. He is a professional golfer now. Oklahoma State season came to an end against Pepperdine, but he is now on the Corn Ferry Tour and he is six under par right now. Shot five under yesterday. He's only played three holes today. So he's one under today, six under for the tournament. Six under has him currently T42. These guys go low on the Corn yeah. Ferry Tour. Uh, but he's only played three holes. I would expect him to be up there in the eight, nine, 10 under par range at the end of today's round and make the cut and hopefully give himself a chance to get into contention. So uh, I would say an opening round 66 is a pretty good way to start his professional career. Pars are like bogeys on the Corn Ferry. You're right. Yep. It's a birdie fest. And he also signed with Ping, joining the ranks with, with Victor Hovland. And the relationship with Ping and OSU goes way back. He's played Ping his whole career. Uh, Karsten Solheim, the owner of Ping, helped get Karsten Creek built, hence the name. So the, the Ping family continues to, to live long and prosperous with, with the OSU family. So good for, good for Austin Eckroat. And uh, Colby, that will do it. Oh, I also won my very first spin of roulette in my life at the Shreveport Casino. Didn't know what I was doing. It was a $15 table. Ended up putting seven bucks the last minute on red seven, hit red seven, cashed out, took the boys out to the bar. So that was another fond memory I had from Shreveport before Alabama what a OSU. Hit. What a uh, it was, hit. It was red seven. dumb, blind luck is all it was. So it was right. a fond, fond memory. Colby, we went over an hour. It's been a long time since we chatted. It was great to be back with you. I enjoyed my time off, but... We'll look forward to getting back with you next week. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Carson.